With this idea, or rather with this fundamental principle, which I have stated in last week's Shia, that what the Rabbani Shalom does is that part of the elements of Hanogah Sayyichud is, is that he actually will allow the Jews to receive something, even though they don't deserve it now, as long as that later on, of course, they will deserve it. With this fundamental principle, we can now answer a very difficult question. And that is, that we see that when Yaakov Avinu returned from Lavan, and before he met Esav, what happened? He fought with the Sultan, who was, of course, Sarah Shal Esav. This was the Malach of Esav. And, of course, Yaakov Avinu won. Now, after that, the Torah tells us that the Malach called Yaakov's name Yisrael. And Yisrael means that one who contends or strives with God. <clears throat> what does that mean? That Yaakov contended or strove with the Malach, and Elohim many times is another name for a Malach. So therefore that Yaakov strove or contended with the Malach, and he won. That's what the Malach says when he means that because you have contended with God, meaning himself, or Elohim, and uh, you have contended also with the men, meaning Esau and Lavan, and you won, therefore your name will be called Yisrael, means to contend with God and win. We may ask a question then, why is it that after the Malach called his name Yisrael, why is it that we find in the Torah that the Rabbani Shalom refers to Yaakov Avinu as Yaakov, not as Yisrael? And the Torah also calls him constantly afterwards Yaakov. Why is it that when the Malach called him Yisrael and he said that your name will no more be called Yaakov but Yisrael, why is it that that in truth is not what happened? Because we find that Yaakov of course continued to be called Yaakov and of course and only occasionally was he called Yisrael. Incidentally, obviously then the Malach's statement has to be interpreted as and, you're no, more, and no more will your name be called Yaakov means not that no more will your name be called uh, Yaakov, instead it will be called Yisrael. But obviously what it means is that no more will your name be called Yaakov alone. It will also be called Yisrael. However, our question of course is, why is it that Yaakov's name did not permanently change? He still is referred to Yaakov in the Torah and by the Rabbani Shalom. Now, let us begin to answer this question based on this fundamental principle which was elaborated previously. Now, what does Yisrael mean? The word Yisrael means to truly fight and to win against the Sitra Akra. In other words, to truly contend with through judgment, through justice, through din. In other words, to deserve to win against the Sitra Akra, where you truly won against the Sitra Akra and his agents. And therefore, of course, you deserve Ulam Habba. Now, if the Jews would win by their own constant initiative, in other words, if the Jews would win by their own free will, which would constantly go on, and there would be no need, they wouldn't have any need or recourse to the Rabbani Shalom's intervening and assisting to ensure victory, in other words, if they wouldn't need an Yichud, then you should know that Yaakov and all the Jews would truly be called only Israel. However, since however, the Jews and even Yaakov Avinu, as we have seen, have to rely on the Anhogas Yichud of the Rabbani Shlom. They have to rely on the initiative of the Rabbani Shlom, on his assistance, on his interfering with Din. 
in order to ensure that the Jews ultimately have victory over the Sitra Akhra and his agents. And of course, the Rabbanu does that by mitigating Din. He doesn't follow the strict dictates of Din. Then the Jews and the Yaakov retain the name of Yaakov and the Jews retain the name of Bnei Yaakov. Why? Because the name Yaakov means to remove, to supplant, to overcome. How? By deception, by trickery, or by cunning. That's what the name Yaakov means. Therefore, what do we see? That the Sitra Akhra is overcome or removed by deception by the Jews with the Rabbani Shalom's assistance. In other words, where many things which happen to the Jews is completely hidden and concealed from the Sitra Akhra in order to avoid his prosecutory arguments, in order to diminish his attempts at Ketrugim, and thereby he would block many different things from happening. As a result of the fact that this happens, therefore, Yaakov, which means that the Sitra Akhra will be won against by deception, by cunning, therefore the Jews retain the name of Yaakov to indicate that this is the way that they actually are victorious against the Sitra Akhra. But the Sitra Akhra is many time, times being completely unaware of what is going on. And of course the Rabban Shalom is the one that makes him unaware. Since this is the way the Jews reach that ultimate victory, therefore they retain the name Yaakov, which means to overcome the Sitra Akhra by deception, because that is the exact method and pattern of how the Jews are ultimately victorious. So therefore we see that the word Yisrael means to be truly meritorious, to have a true meritorious victory over the Sitra Akhra. And the word Yaakov means to have a victory over the Sitra Akhra, however, but through deception, which is employed by the Rabbani Shalom against the Sitra Akhra. Okay, even though they have truly won over the Sitra Akhra and they have, and they have earned Ilam Habo through Din justice. In other words, that the Sitra Akhra is really won over. He is vanquished in battle by Klai Yisrael because of the deception that the Revolution practices against the Sitra Akhra. Therefore, they are called Yaakov. Even though it comes out that later on the Jews will truly have merited and earned their victory over the Sitra Akhra, and therefore truly have merited and earned their Ulam Habo by then. However, since initially we see that the Jews have to come on to Al Hagasiyyukul, to the assistance and the aid of the Rabbani Islam in helping them achieve their victory. And they do that by God's deceiving and concealing from the Sitra Akhra much of what transpires so he can't makatre, he cannot prosecute. Therefore, they have the name Yaakov to indicate that this is the way they will be victorious over the Sitra Akhra. Now, we see that by Yaakov, that the Indian of Ben Yosef, which was Esav's Indian, would not have gone to Yaakov would have not have gone to him because of the kitrik of the Sitra Akhra concerning Kibar of Ein. Now, the Rabbani Shalom intervened in this case by concealing from the Sitra Akhra what was transpiring. And therefore, Yaakov got the brochus from Yitzchok, and therefore he got the union of Ben Yosef, which he then also had to accomplish. Even though there would have been a tremendous kitrik by the Sitra Akhra had he known. Now, later on, as we shall see, he truly accomplished the task of Ben Yosef. Therefore, he justified the Rabbani Shalom's intervention in this matter. 
And also later on, as we have seen already, that he received the kapora on the idea of Kibro Ve'en, and therefore it removed the kitrig of the Sitra Achra against Yaakov. Therefore, even though Yaakov Avinu merited through Din his victory over the Sitra Achra, However, since this came about only because of the assistance and intervention by the Rabbani Shalom, only because the Rabbani Shalom allowed it to be, or else it could never have been, because of the Kitrug against Yaakov Avinu, because of Kibra Ve'en, he therefore retains the name of Yaakov, because this pattern, and this is important to remember, this pattern of constant assistance and intervention by the Rabbi Shalom, which is called, which is one of the elements of Anogasi Yichud, will always be needed by the Jews throughout all history. And of course, to ultimately bring the victory over the Sitrafa to the Jews. Therefore, they retain the name Yaakov, which indicates that they will be victorious over the Sitra Achra. They will be victorious over his agents. They will truly massacre the Bria and reveal the Yichud of the Rabbanishlam in the Bria, but only with the assistance of the Rabbanishlam. And the reason why they need his assistance is not because of God, it's because of their own frailties. And on the contrary, the fact that the Rabbanishlam allows himself to assist them and to mitigate them is part of the chesed of the Rabbanishlam. And in truth, that is what is revealed by the Rabbanishlam. That in the end, when the Gaul comes, as it says in the Novi, for my sake, for my sake, will I do this? It says in Shimon Esrei, who may be girl, and God brings a redeemer, for his name's sake, be in love. In other words, the reason why he brings the girl is not because of the merits of the Jews, because they would not have merited it that the Mashiach should come if it was based purely on their own actions. In other words, they could not have initiated this action because the Jews, unfortunately, are too involved in Chatoim and therefore, by their own merits, he would not have come. So therefore, what the Rabbani Shalom does is provide Hanhogas HaYichud, which of course enables the Jews to earn Ilam Habo, to bring him as Mashiach, even though, of course, through Din, but this, of course, is initiated because of the Rabbani Shalom. Therefore, because of the love of God, because of the love, he therefore does a tremendous chesed, which means he gives this new way of conducting himself in relationship to mankind, in relationship to the Jews, and he brings, of course, the Redeemer. Only because God ultimately wants the Briot to have a tikkun, and that the Jews should be zeichet to Yemosa Mashiach, and should be zeichet to Therefore, he initiated that anhogah called anhogah sayichud. Because the truth is that without anhogah sayichud, if it would be only up to anhogah sayichud, in other words, if God would only react to the Jews according strictly according to justice, then they never would have lasted, and the redemption and ilm never would have come as a result of that. Therefore, we see that anhogah sayichud is always required. Therefore, they retain the name of Yaakov or Vino. Now, therefore, we now understand what it means when it says, Because in the beginning of Togos, it says, And Yaakov's hand was seizing the heel of Esau. And I had given previously different kinds of interpretations of what that really means. We now, however, come to the one of the most profound interpretations 
of all. And that is that when Yaakov Avinu was born grabbing the heel of Esau, that is a prophetic metaphor of the exact way that Yaakov Avinu would overthrow Esau, of course, who is the agent of the Sitra Achra. How? Because what is the best way to overthrow Esau or the agent of the Sitra Achra? And that's what Esau is. By going in the back of a person, which means you are concealed from the person and he can't fight off your attempts, and bending down by his heel and grabbing the heel and giving a quick jerk and lifting up the leg and the person falls down. That is the best way of overthrowing a person. By going in the back of him, so obviously he doesn't see what you're going to do and he can't fight off your attempts. And you go to the bottom of the individual and you pick his heel up and of course he falls. That idea of the Yodi Echezes Ba'kev Esav, that Yaakov Avinu would be holding on to the heel of Esav, and that is the way he would overthrow, is nothing more than a prophetic metaphor for Anhogas Yichud, that only with the Rabbani Shalom's assistance and intervention will Yaakov and the Jews overthrow Esav and the Sitra Achra, because of course the fact that the Sitra Achra is not aware of many things is alluded to in the fact that Yaakov is in the back of Esav, Therefore, Yaakov is concealed from Esau as he is overthrowing him. And it's the same idea that the Sitrachu is not aware of many things that is going on and the Eden are privy or they, are, they, just, they get many things which they are not truly uh, uh, merit it. And therefore, ultimately, the Eitzahar, of course, is completely shocked that the Eden have this thing altogether and of course that they deserve it later on. Now, therefore we see that the name Yaakov, of course, reflects this Anhogas HaYichud that all Jews ultimately must borrow on. Now, now we understand why Chazal say that the name Yaakov was really given to him by the Rabbani Shalom. Because when it says by Esav that they called his name Esav, it says Vayikru Shemoy Esav, and they called his name Esav, which obviously referred to the parents. Yitzchok and Rivka. But by Yaakov it says, Vayikro Shmo Yaakov, and he called his name. So the question is, why here is it singular? So therefore the Chazal said that nobody called his name, not his parents, but the Rabbani Shalom called his name Yaakov, and therefore it's singular. This is one shot. And why did the Rabbani Shalom call his name Yaakov? Because only the Rabbani Shalom knows through, of course, what will be that the Jews will always need his assistance and intervention. They will always need an Yichud in order to have victory over the Sitra Achra and all his agents and be Zuch, of course, to Ilam Habo. Therefore, God called his name Yaakov to indicate that ultimately they will be victorious, they will vanquish Esau and the Sitra Achra. How? Through an Yichud, not through an Mishpat. Therefore, that is why the Rabbani Shem called Yaakov, of course, the name Yaakov. And that, of course, is why the name Yaakov, of course, was never changed. Because since the Jews always need Anogas HaYichud throughout all the generations, therefore they, are continued, con- therefore they are continuously called Yaakov or Vino. Now, you see, therefore, that the name Yaakov really means that Klai Yisrael, the Jews, will overthrow the Sitra Achra and all his forces through or by the help or the assistance of Hanogas Yichud. And it's not because the Jews couldn't do it without Hanogas Yichud. The truth is they could. But the fact is, is that they don't. 
Therefore, because of the chesed and the love that God has for Klai Yisrael, he therefore initiated the Anhogo of Anhogosi Yuchod, and he enables the Jews, of course, to bring about the Tikkun, to overthrow the Sitrachra, of course, through the agency of Anhogos Hayichod. This is what Yaakov really means. Now, as a result of all these ideas, we can now go back to a question which I have left really unanswered in previous Shuram, and that is, if you recall that the Merkava, the divine chariot, has four different uh, uh, figures underneath it as the wheels. One is the ox, one is the lion, one is man, and the other is an eagle. We now can understand what the eagle or what the eagle represents on this Merkava, on this chariot. Now, if you recall that the chariot is a metaphor which indicates that just like a chariot brings a driver to a place that he was not in previously, and now as a result of the vehicle of this chariot, he arrives at this destination, this indicates also that the universe is really in a situation, of course, of hesti yechudai. In other words, there is an absence of the presence of the Rabbani Shalom. There is an absence of his, or rather the revelation of his true nature, nature namely his yechudai, his unity. And through individuals, God is then brought into the universe. He is brought into the universe where he was, of course, previously absented from. And of course, that is what the chariot does. It brings the driver to his destination. Therefore, those people who are the chariots of God bring God into his destination, which of course is this world or this creation. Now, who are the chariots of God? Who are those individuals that bring the Rabbani Shalom, his presence, back into the Bria, who create a state of not of Hester Ponov, but Haoras Ponov, the illumination of the divine presence? Who are these individuals? Well, we said that there are four wheels. There are four different entities. One is, of course, the ox. And the ox, of course, is the symbol of the Mashiach bin Yosef, which we know, the shore. And the second is a lion. And that, of course, is the symbol of the Mashiach bin David. The third symbol is man. And that, of course, is a symbol of all Klaisrael, the individuals who, of course, truly can So therefore, we now have three. We now have the Inyan, or the Shurish, of the Mashiach bin Yosef. We have the Shroshim, or the Shurish of the Mashiach bin David. And we have all Klaisrael with, with the Mashiach, and of course, doing the job himself, themselves. Now, in terms of the eagle, we can now ask, of course, who is the eagle? And the answer is that now that we see that the Rabbani Shalom himself has an active part in bringing his own presence into the universe, therefore we can say that the eagle is God himself, the Rabbani Shalom himself. As it is said in Ha'azinu, Kinesha Yo'ikinoi, as an eagle stirs up its nest or its young, and it's referring, of course, Kinesha, of course, refers to the Rabbani Shalom. Therefore, the eagle on the Merkava is the Rabbani Shalom himself. Why? Because we see from Azinu that the Rabbani Shalom is metaphorically called an eagle. Now, since the Rabbani Shalom has to assist and intervene and to constantly initiate or enable the Jews to overcome Din, therefore, one would certainly say that he is a true cause of bringing his own presence in the Bria. Besides the other three causes, the two Meshichan and Klai Yisrael, therefore we could say 
that he is also one of the wheels or one of the causing agents that enables the chariot to move or to reach its de destination. It enables his presence to be brought into creation and therefore we can justifiably say therefore that he is part of the Merkava and therefore the Merkava is metaphor or the Merkava marshal refers of course also to the Rebbeinu himself because as I said that all four elements are the chariots of God, the Mashiach ben Yosef, or the Shroshim of the Mashiach ben Yosef, the Mashiach ben David, or the Shroshim of the Mashiach ben David, and together with them, of course, is all Klai Yisrael, which of course assists or aids the Mashiach themselves to do the Avodah. And besides these three, there's also the Eagle, which is the Rabbanu Shalom. Since if it wasn't for the Rabbanu Shalom, if it wasn't for Anhogas HaYichod, if, if it was only up to Anhogas HaMishpat, then of course, the Jews would never be zeich, of course, to massacre the Bria, to usher in Yemais HaMashiach, of course, and to receive Olam Habo. Therefore, God himself justifiably is certainly part of the chariot. He himself is his own cause of how he enters the universe, but only part, because of course, the two Mashiach and Klai Yisrael, of course, are the other parts of the chariot. Now, once we understand this, we can also understand another very difficult question. Chazal say in Mesech the Shabbos that Moshe Rabbeinu, when he went up into Mount Sinai, how Sinai, when he was about to give the Torah, he told the Jews that he's going to come back at the beginning of the sixth hour, at the end of the 40th day. Now, the Jews made a mistake, and they counted wrong, and they anticipated Moshe's coming by one day. He was really going to come the next morning. Instead, they thought that he was going to come in this morning. Now, what happened? Chazal say in Mesech the Shabbos that the Sotan, the, the, uh, of course the uh, Sitrach appeared to Klai Yisrael and he told them, he asked them, where is Moshe Rabbeinu? So they told him, Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shemayim to receive the Torah. He asked them, but it's the sixth hour already, it's already passed. So they said, so what? They disregarded it. But he said, but maybe he's dead. And they disregarded that also. Now, it doesn't mean that the Sultan appeared to Klai Yisrael, literally. But what it does mean is that he put the doubts in the minds of the Jews at that time, that they thought, and this was of course their temptation, when they saw in their trial or test, that wait a minute, the sixth hours passed, where is he? Okay, they conquered that temptation. Then they said, wait a minute, another gnawing doubt, maybe he's dead. They conquered that temptation. Now, it comes out that the Sitra Achor, attempted to get them to sin, but of course they disregarded it. So what did he do? He resorted to an incredible event. And you know what he did? He showed them a vision of a beer, of a meter, a bed in the sky with Moshe Rabbeinu lying on it to say that, see, Moshe Rabbeinu is dead. And they actually saw a supernatural phenomenon, a beer in the sky with Moshe Rabbeinu lying on it. And at that point, of course, the Jews immediately said, they said to Aaron, make us a God that will go before us. Why? So the Lushan of the Prophet, the way the Torah expresses itself is, Kizeh Moshe, for this Moshe, Ho'ish the man who brought us out from Egypt. We don't know what became of him. Now, it says, Kizeh, it should have said, 
for Moshe, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what became of him. Instead it says, Kizeh Moshe, for this Moshe, we don't know what became of it. That word Zeh alludes to the vision that they have because they were pointing to the vision and said, because this man Moshe that we are looking at, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what became of him. This is what Gemara in Masech the Shabbos says. We can ask a tremendous kasha, wait a minute, it doesn't make sense. Is this a fear test, the Klai's film? We see that first the Sitra Akhra tried to convince them by putting doubts in their mind that the six hour passed. That failed. Then he tried to convince them that Moshe Rabbeinu is dead by putting that doubt in their mind. They disregarded that. So all of a sudden he has the ability to put this supernatural phenomenon in the sky to tempt the Jews. Now, is this a fear Nisoyim? How can the Sitra Akhra have power to do this? Where does he get the right to do something like that. And we know that the Sitra Achor can do nothing without the approval of the Rabbani Islam. Absolutely nothing. So the question of course is, how does the Sitra Achor get this kind of power? And the answer is, and here we understand now, once we understand the whole concept of Anhogas Yichud, that since the Jews are victorious over the Sitra Achor, not in strict accordance with Din, but because of the Rabbani Shalom's assistance and intervention, which we know is Anhogasi Yuchud. In other words, since the Rabbani Shalom saves the Jews or enables the get, them to get Ulim Abba and Usher and the Yemosa Mashiach, not in strict accordance with Din, but merely because the Rabbani Shalom gives them assistance and intervention by mitigating Din, by concealing many things from the Sitra Akhra, and so on. Then the Sitra Akhra has a tremendous claim against God. And he says, Look, if they are going to get Ilim Habor not in the strict merits of Din, then let me also deviate from the strict merits of Din. In other words, let me also resort to a temptation that's not in accordance with justice. So the Bhagavad says, Okay, when you will be subjected to the last Nisoyim, in other words, when the Yemusa Mashiach is about to be ushered in, and this is your last attempt to get the Jews to sin in order to foil that attempt, I will give you permission to resort to something also which is not in accordance with them. You will be able to resort to some supernatural phenomena in order to tempt the Jews, in order to get them to sin, and therefore, of course, disrupt the entire idea of the Yemosa Mashiach being ushered in. So that's what he did. First he tried the normal temptation methods, which he always does by entering the psyche of man. He tried to give them doubts in their mind about the sixth hour. That didn't work. He tried to give them doubts about the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu may be dead. That didn't work. And we know that if the Sitra had failed and Moshe Rabbeinu had come down from the mountain, what would have been ushered in? The Moshe Mashiach. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was the Mashiach ben Yosef who was going to give them the Torah in the form of Or Pnimi, the Orishan. And we know as Chazal say, that the Jews at the time of Matan Terah were in the same level or Madrig as Odom Rishon before the Chet because the Zoyama of the Nochosh, that poison or that influence which the Satan has in the universe was completely stopped. Therefore we know that had the Sitra Akhra failed then the Yemosa Mashiach would have been ushered in. So this in effect was his last attempt to try to spoil or to frustrate the Yemosa Mashiach coming. Therefore, he is given permission that when everything else fails, when the normal recourse to the psyche of man fails, he can now resort to a supernatural phenomenon as the last attempt to try to get the Jews to sin. 
And unfortunately, of course, at that time, he succeeded. And this, of course, is a trade-off that the Rabbani Shalom has made with the Sitra Achor. Since I also deviate from justice, in the sense of Anhogas HaYichod, and that is how Klayisul Yisrael, that is how the Jews merit that they get Ulam Habo, that is how they usher in Yemaisa Mashiach, that is how you are ultimately vanquished, you and all your hosts. Therefore, I will allow you also to supersede the normal ways of tempting man, namely his psyche, by entering his mind, but you may resort to tempting man by having recourse to supernatural phenomena. And that's exactly what he did. And unfortunately, of course, they, of course, uh, failed. And I just also want to mention that it is only when the Jews are going to usher in the Moisa Mashiach through their schusim, through their merits, in other words, through their free will, basically, that the Sitra Akhra has the ability to tempt man, if all else fails, through supernatural events. However, now, since we are in the Madrega, or we are in a category called Kulum Chayovim, which means that we are bringing in the Yemesa Mashiach through our sufferings, through the Golas, therefore, the, of course, this mechanism that the Sitra Akhra has in terms of tempting us uh, through supernatural means, of course, is void. It doesn't work. Now, I'd like to mention one more last idea, or rather, interesting uh, interpretation of the Torah as a result of the ideas of Anhogus HaYichod. And that is, it says in Bracious, in Pasha's Lech Lecha, by the Brisbane Absurd, it says that, by Yumi'alov, that Rabbanishlam said to Avram Avinu, that I am the one who has taken you out of all Kazdim to give you this land to inherit. Now, and he said, and Avram said to the Rabbanishlam, How do I know I will inherit it? How do I know that either I or my descendants will inherit it? So the Rabbanishlam says to him, Avram, He said to Avram, You should surely know that your descendants or your offspring will be a sojourner, foreigners in a land which does not belong to them. And they will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. Now, we may ask a very difficult question. The Rabbani Shalom is telling Avraham Avino that he is going to give him the land to inherit. And of course, he to he and to his offspring. And Avraham Avino says to him, how do I know that I will inherit the land? It doesn't, it's very difficult for us to understand how Avraham Avino, who was of course among the greatest Jews who ever lived, the first of should doubt the word of God. If God says that he is going to give this land to uh, Avram and to his descendants, why should uh, Avram Avinu doubt this? Why should he ask him or say, how do I know that I will surely get it? What was his real question? And also, when the Rabbani Shalom answered him that they will serve and they will be in a land which is not theirs, and they will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years, what kind of an answer is this to, ya- to Avraham Avinu? Now, once we understand the internal design, which means that since we understand the internal principles of the Bria, and in this case in terms of Anhogas HaYichud, and we see how much Anhogas HaYichud already enables us to understand and explain, we can also understand exactly what was going on here by Avraham Avinu. What Avraham Avinu was really saying to the Rabbani Shalom is, Look, it's true that you surely want to give us Eretz Israel to me and to my descendants. You surely want us to, of course, 
be in the Bria and to be Zuchat to Ilam Habo. There's no question about that. But since this can only come about through merit righteousness, since this can only come about through free will, then how do I know that my descendants will be meritless, will be worthy of it? Maybe they will sin, and therefore they will frustrate your will of wanting to give them this entire agreement. This is what Avraham Avinu said to the Ba'ishlam. In other words, of course, according to you, you want to do this. But since this can only be earned by free will righteousness, then how do I know that they will deserve the land of Eretz Israel? So what is the point that you are promising it to me, since they can very easily lose it? And the cash is, you see, by the generations of Noyach and by Adam Rishon. They also lost the chance, of course, of bringing in the Yemaisa Mashiach, and of course, and of inheriting the land. Because they were not righteous, they failed. So then how do I know my children will also be able to be worthy or merit through their own free will of getting the land and of course seeing out or realizing the rest of the agreement. So the Rabbanishim told me you should know that you should truly know that I am going to institute which means that even if they don't deserve to get Eretz Yisrael and to massacre Nubria by their own merit through free will I am going to now provide a backup system where through Yesurin they will now deserve it, which is a third mechanism that even though they don't deserve it through their normal actions, their free will actions, they will deserve it because there is a new mechanism called Hanogas Ayyichud where they will be massacring the Bria, they will usher in the Yemaisa Mashiach through Yesurin. That is the way they will do it. And that's what the Rabbanishim told them that they will be sojourners in the land not theirs, Vavodim and they will serve them, Vinu and they will go through afflictions. And that Vinu of course, is Dan Hogasayikud. That's how you know that what I say that you will inherit the land will surely come to pass. And just as an aside, many people do not understand why the Jews had to suffer in Egypt for over two hundred years. And we know, of course, that the reason why they suffered in Egypt, of course, is to remove the Zoyama of the Nochesh of Adam Rishon. In other words, since the Rebbeinu made an agreement with Avram that he would be Masak and Nebriah, therefore, of course, the Jews have to enter Egypt in order to Masak and Nebriah, in other words, by removing the Kilkel. But what is not known is that the Jews even when they went to Egypt, did not have to go through the sufferings of Egypt. The truth is that the real sufferings that the Jews had in Egypt only occurred in the last 80 to 100 years. What first happened is that they went down to the land and they lived in relative tranquility in Egypt. And that is indicated when the Rebbeinu says to them that that they will be in a land which is not theirs and they won't be slaves. They will be citizens of that land. But... What is the entire purpose of God sending down the Jews to Egypt? And the answer to that is, is what their task is. And that is the way they will remove the Zoyim of the Nochosh and correct the sin of Avram of, in, uh, excuse me, of Odom Rishon, that Kilko. Their task is to remain righteous, to keep the traditions of Yaakov of Avinu, even though they are in the Klippos, even though they are in, 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 in Mitzrayim itself. Now, what happens if they don't do that? Then they go to the next level of severity which begins on August Ayyichud. That's v'avodum. 
They now become slaves. But even slaves, still they live in relative tranquility. It's not the sore affliction that they got later on. Assuming, of course, that they are able to remain righteous even as slaves. What happens if they don't even do this? Not only do they not observe the traditions of Yaakov Avinu, not only they don't observe it when they are slaves, therefore what the Rabbanish will do is ma'ane oisam, ve'inu oisam, he will afflict them and punish them. And that is the last, of course, approach or last method. And this is true Hanogas Yichud, that by being afflicted at the hands of Egypt, which happened for the last 80, 100 years, this will ensure that the kilkul will be removed and there will be a tikkun of the brio and the zoyim of the nochush, of course, will cease. And that is really what happened by Avraham Avinu. At the Rebunishim told him that I am inaugurating or incorporating, of course, the union of Avraham that they will surely remove the kilkul of the brio, whether by their free will righteousness or by the sufferings that they must go through and of course, and this is of course an Hagas Yichud. But what has to be remembered secondarily is that when they went to Egypt, they didn't necessarily have to suffer at the hands of the Egyptians. What their task was is to remain righteous, to keep the traditions of Yaakov in Egypt. But as they slipped down the ladder of the 49 Madrigas, as they slipped into the 49 different gates of Tumor, of course, Hanhogas Yichud had to provide more and more affliction in order to undo all the chatoim and to remove the kilkel of the brio, which of course is what our Odom Mauritian originally said in. And of course, when they left Egypt, of course, this is exactly what happened. That poskolom lohem, the zoyama of the nochesh, that's exactly what happened. Now, we see therefore that when one has an internal understanding of the principles of Hashkofa, one can literally look at Chumash in a completely different way than people are, are uh, used to looking at. And we have seen that with the ideas of Anogas Yichud, we have seen many different things explained. The ideas of Avram Avinu and what his uh, argument to the Rabbani Shalom was. The idea, of course, of what happened by Matan Torah and Moshe Rabbeinu and why the Sitra had the power to actually tempt them with supernatural phenomenon. We see also what the eagle in the Merkava really alludes to. And of course, we see, of course, the entire idea of why Yaakov Vinu and of course his descendants who are called Bnei Yaakov are still called Yaakov because of course the entire ideas of Anhogas HaYichod. These ideas, ideas beautifully emerge and are beautifully understood as a result of the fact that we have some grasp of the internal principles of creation. Now, let us return to the Torah itself and continue the story of Yaakov and Esav as we had been doing until now and essentially to develop the theme according to the idea that Yaakov took over the task of Esav in other words that the union of Ben Yosef which was originally delegated and designated to Esav and of course he lost it is now taken over by Yaakov to do now let us then go begin going in the Torah and seeing exactly uh, what transpired. As I had mentioned previously, and it was that when Yitzchak grew old, and his eyesight became dim from seeing, and I, of course I had mentioned previously, from seeing Yaakov, this is what the Midrash Tanchuma says. In other words, 
that his eyes became dim for the specific reason that he should not see that Yaakov was the one who was going to take the brachas. <clears throat> and we know until now <clears throat> that the reason why Yitzchok became blind so he shouldn't see Yaakov is to prevent a great kitrub, a great prosecu prosecutory attempt against Yaakov by the Sitra Achra. And therefore, of course, if Yitzchok does not know who he is giving the brachas to, of course, then uh, neither does the Sitra Achra. And we also know, of course, as I had mentioned, that the Kitrub, that prosecutory argument that the Sitra Achra would level against Yaakov, would be, of course, against the union of Ben Yosef being permanently given to Yaakov and his offspring. This is exactly what the Sitra Achra would try to obstruct. The Pasik continues, by Yikra is Esav Bunyagor, and Esav called, and Yitzchak called his son Esav, the elder son. By Yomelov, and he said to him, Bini, my son, by Yomelov, he named, and he said to him, Behold, I am here. And I had mentioned that the Torah here is Miramis, alludes to exactly why the Sitra Akhra would have such power over Yaakov and be able to obstruct him from receiving the union of Ben Yosef to him and his, to his descendants permanently. And the answer is Hineni. When Esav said, Hineni, behold, I am here, that of course indicates that he is instantly ready to serve his father, which of course indicates the mitzvah of Kibrova Aim. That Esav was so great in Kibrova Aim that this would pre prevent <coughs> Yaakov from receiving the brochus or the union of Ben Yosef. That's how great the Kitrig will actually be. Now, to continue in the Pasuk. Pasek continues and says, Vayimer, and Yitzchok said, Hine knows the kanti lo yadati in mercy. Behold, I have grown old, I don't know the day of my death. Viato, and now, Sono kilecho v'telecho v'kashtecho, take, of course, bear your weapons, v'tseha sode, and go out into the field, v'tsudoli tsoyev, and go and hunt for me game. V'aseli mat amim, and then, of course, prepare this for me, and make me delicious food, k'asho hafti, as I have always loved. Vihovi oli, and bring it to me, me and I will eat it. nafshi, in order that my soul should bless you. Beterem omos, before of course I will die. This is what the pasuk says. As I had mentioned, Yitzchok asked Esav to go out and hunt for him some game, and of course bring it back to him and prepare it for him, that he may eat it. And therefore, as Yitzchok says that my soul shall bless you before I die. Now, we may ask here basically two questions. Why did Yitzchak tell Esav to hunt game for him before the blessings? He could easily have had food prepared to him by Rivka at home. What's the point in having Esav go out and have to hunt for him and, uh, and uh, of course, be matriach Esav in that sense? Obviously, he had flocks and herds, and he could easily have said that... Uh, Rivka should prepare for him whatever he needs, whatever food he needs. And over that kind of food, he would then bless Esau. So the question, of course, is why does he have to tell Esau to go out and hunt for him food? The second important question is that the Lushen of the Pasuk is very interesting. It says, uh, Yitzchak says, and that I may eat in order to vorechachon nafshi b'terem omos, that my soul shall bless you before I die. Now, Besides the stylistic language, it really should say, in order that 
uh, that I may bless you before I die. In other words, <clears throat> why does Yitzchak say to Esav that my soul may bless you before I die? Let him just say that rather, rather it should just say that I may bless you before I die. This is a, uh, a second question which I want to ask. Now, <clears throat> Yitzchak thought that Esav had successfully accomplished his designated task. And we know, of course, that that designated task really is the union of Ben Yosef. And we know also that Esav had failed. Now, obviously, since Yitzchak thought it, we know that Esav really deceived Yitzchak in allowing him to think that he had successfully accomplished what he was, what he had, uh, was specifically designated for him. In other words, that Esav had successfully achieved that designated task of the union of Ben Yosef, which is that the materialism and pleasures of Ilam Hazer would be directed to the service and the dedication of the Rabbani Shalom. In other words, therefore Esav was called an Ish Sadeh because he would interact with the outside world, which is Ilam Hazer, and direct this materialism in terms of the service of the Rabbani Shalom. And in consequence thereof, you would have a subjugation of the Sitra Akhra underneath the forces of holiness. In other words, by doing this, then what would happen is that the Sitra Akhra, the forces of evil, the Yitzhah and the Satan and so on, would lose their power or their influence over the world. And, and that is exactly what the entire Indian of Ben Yusuf is, to war with the Sitra Akhra and to remove the power that he has over the universe. Now, on the basis of this particular victory or achievement that Esav would have accomplished over the Sitra Akhra, Therefore, Esav and his descendants would now be given permanent possession of this particular task. And that was the entire idea of these brachas that Yitzchak was about to give him. And of course, the brachas would contain the uh, material wealth and abundance, and also dominance in worldly matters. And the reason why Yosef, rather the Inyar ben Yosef, as manifested through Esav, would have this, of course, is in order for him to carry out his task. Because he has to interact with Ilam Hazer, and subdue the Sitra Akhra. Therefore, he will be given the material wealth, that kind of dominance in worldly matters, to ensure that he is able to carry out this specific task. Now, as a result of this, Yitzhak wanted these ideas, in other words, the fact that Esav was victorious over the Sitra Akhra, to be expressed symbolically. And how would this be expressed symbolically? By Esav's hunting and capturing game. And this would symbolically represent his hunting and capturing the Sitra Akhra. And of course, and this game would be consumed, which of course, which would indicate symbolically that the Sitra Akhra, of course, his wiles, or he has lost his complete power over the Bria. Because uh, the material world, of course, has been dedicated to the Rabbani Shalom. Now, therefore, based on this reality, that Esav had been Minatseach or had successfully achieved a victory over the Sitra Akhra. And of course, this reality would be symbolized by this particular action of Esav to go out and hunt, to capture, and of course, to consume the game, which of course represents the victory over the Sitra Akhra. Based on that, he would bestow the union of, of Ben Yosef on Esav and his offspring permanently. So, in other words, Yitzchak told Esav to go out and to involve himself in an act which symbolically states exactly what Esav was supposed to have done and what Esav was supposed to have achieved, namely to go out and to hunt for game 
This would symbolically represent that Esav had gone out and hunted and captured the Sitra Akhra, which is to subdue those forces of evil. And as a result of this particular animal, which was hunted and, of course, captured, then this would provide the rationale that Yitzchak would now be able to give to Esav and his offspring the entire union of Ben Yosef in a permanent fashion. Now, therefore, we now understand why Yitzchak told Esav to go out and to hunt him game, even though, of course, he had many flocks, because he wanted this act symbolically to represent the entire rationale symbolically upon which he was now giving to Esau and thereby his offspring the entire union of Ben Yosef permanently. Now, the second question which I had asked, and that is why does Yitzchok say, let, uh, uh, let my soul bless you, rather let him just say, let me bless you, is because if you recall, Yitzchok, Yitzchok's neshama, or the, uh, the, uh, of Yitzchok, his, his neshama, emanates or personifies the middle of Gevuru of the Rabban Shlom. That is really where he emanates from. Just like Avraham Avinu emanates and personifies the attribute of God called Chesed, Yitzchak also emanates from and he personifies that attribute, that middle of, of the Rabban Shlom, which is called Gevuru, power or might. Therefore, just like Yitzchak, his neshama emanates and personifies that middle Gevuru of the Rabban Shlom, and just like he has been successful in vanquishing the Sitra Akhra, so what he says is, let my soul, which of course personifies this Midav Gvura and is successful in vanquishing the Sitra Akhra, bless you or your soul, who also personifies the Midav Gvura of the Rabban Islam, and of course I refer to Esau, and also has been successful in vanquishing the Sitra Akhra. So what Yitzhak is really saying to Esau, of course, is like, let me bless you, who are of the same kind as myself. And therefore, of course, I can transmit that blessing. Let I, who represent Gvura, and who have been victorious in that Gvura of the Sitra let me bless you, who also represent Gvura, if you recall, and who have been uh, successful in vanquishing the Sitra And therefore, this is why Yitzchak used that particular kind of language. Now, to continue in the, in the Torah, then it says that Rivka heard, of course, what Yitzchak had told Esav, and of course Esav went out to do the actual bidding of his father. And then Rivka, of course, said to Yaakov, to her son, that I have heard what your father had said, of course, who spoke to Esav, your brother, and he told him to hunt, go out and bring him venison or game, and to make him, of course, good food. And as a result of that, he would be able to bless Esav before the Rebbein Shalom. So she told him, Yaakov, now, Bni, my son, Shema Bikoli, hear my voice and listen to what I'm about to command you. Go out and take Shnei Gidoya Izim, two kids, two young goats. And uh, I will also make of them a good food, of course, for your father. And you will bring this to your father, of course, and he will eat it and he will then bless you, of course, instead of Esav. Now, Chazal say that when the, 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 the Kash is asked by Rashi, she said, go and bring me two kids or two goats from the flock. So Rashi says, did it take two goats to satisfy the appetite of Yitzchak? Why did she need so much? I mean, did he eat so much? So Rashi says, and this is from the uh, Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, that the truth is that that day was Erev Pesach. It was exactly Erev Pesach, that day. And what he wanted to do, Yitzchak, uh, was to bless Esau in Pesach, 
which would later on be Pesach, he wanted to bless him at that time. So therefore, the Shnei Gidoyaism really is the two sacrifices that were brought on Pesach. One was, of course, the Korban Pesach, the uh, Pesach itself. And the other was the Korban that you eat in order to be full, and then you eat the Pesach being full, because Pesach is only Nechal ala Siva. After you're full eating meat, then you go and eat the Korban Pesach. So it comes out that the brochas were given on the Pesach night and that the two goats were actually the Korban Pesach and the Korban that would fill him up in order to eat the Korban Pesach. So of course, this is exactly what transpired. So the question of course now is, what does this allude to? Why is it that Yitzchak wanted to give the brochas to Esau in the night of Pesach? And this is indicated of course by the fact that Rivka told Yaakov to bring her two goats, of course, because it was the night of Pesach and Yitzhak would be eating the Korban Pesach and the, and the other Korban in order to be full so that he could eat the Korban Pesach itself. So the question, of course, is what does this allude to? Now, we know that the brochas that Yitzhak was about to give Esau is really the idea that the permanence of the union of the Mashiach bin Yosef is about to be given to, to Esau and his descendants. That's what the significance of the brochas were. And we also know what the task of Ben Yosef is to basically subjugate and to subdue the Sitra Akhra. Okay? Now, if one does that, you remove his influence and his power over the world. In other words, that men are no more tempted by the Yait Sahara the way we are now. That the Yait Sahara doesn't have the possession over the physical bodies the way he does now. Now, this, his influence or the influence and the power of the Sitra Akhra is really symbolically referred to in Chazal as the Zoyama of the Nochash, the poison of the snake. And this, of course, this poison of the snake came into creation as a result of the Chet of Odom Rishon. When Odom Rishon did its sin, then this snake, of course, at that time, who was the Sitra Akhra, the Eight Sahara, who tempted Chava and then, of course, Adam. As a result of the Chet of Admiration, he was able to inject, and this is a symbolic statement, his influence into the Bria, where he now actually had control over the physical universe. And not that he had to stand afar and tempt man, like he did by Admiration. After the Chet of Admiration, he now had control and influence over the universe, where he can enter into the psyche of man and actually tempt him within his own mind. Now, this idea that the Yitzhahara or the Sitra Akhra has influence or power, is referred to as Zoyama of the Nochash, the poison of the Nochash, which of course he injected into creation. And this came into creation, as I said, as a result of the Chet of Odom Now, we know that the task of the Mashiach bin Yosef primarily is to remove this Zoyama of the Nochash from creation. That is his task, to rid the universe of this influence and the power that the Sitra Akhra has. Now, we know also that on that night that Yitzchak was going to give the blessing to Esav, this would be the true beginning of the Tikkun of the Kilkel caused by the, Zoya, the Zoyma of the Nochash. In other words, that since uh, Esav would now assume permanently the role of Ben Yosef, and we know the role of Ben Yosef primarily is to remove the Zoyma of the Nochash, then we could say that the true beginning would uh, of this tikkun of this correction or rectification of kilkul this damage that was done to the bria as a result of the zoyama of the nochish would begin at that night because that night is exactly the time he was about to be stowered on esau 
In other words, that time would be the beginning that the Zoyama of the Nochosh would be removed. This would be the beginning of that kind of task. Uh, and of course, what that would mean, of course, is that Asa, by getting this brochus, of course, would be involved in that Indian. Now, of course, it wasn't given to Asa, of course, it was given to Yaakov because, of course, he was disguised as Asa. But this is what the repercussions of that night would be. Now, what he wanted, therefore, Yitzchak wanted, is that he wanted to give it on the same night, which is the night of Pesach, to begin in a serious way the permanence of the Indian of Ben Yosef which would remove the Zoyam of the Nochosh, which is, in effect, that which damages the Bria, he wanted to give it on the very same night that 277 years later, when the Jews would leave Egypt on that very night, because they left the night of Pesach, he wanted it to coincide with the very night that the Jews would leave Egypt. Why? Because Chazal say that on the night that the Jews left Egypt, the Nifzika Zoyam shall Nochosh, the influence and the power that Sitra Akhra had over the Bria, over creation, was removed as a result of the labors of which the Jews did in Egypt. Now, as a result of the fact that the Jews suffered at the hands of the Egyptians, which means that they entered the, the realm of the Sitra Akhra, because Egypt at that time was the greatest nation on earth, and also it was the greatest agent for evil in that sense, because they were into all different kinds of sins and avarice. So therefore, the Jews who had suffered at the hands of Egypt, which is the major agent of the Sitra Akhra at that period in time. In other words, they had suffered the, at the hands of what is called Klippos, which is Egypt. Therefore, they had removed the Zoyam of the Nochash. And that's what Chazal say, that when the Jews left Egypt, they had succeeded in restoring the universe to the original state, the way it was before Odom Hishim did the Chet, before he did that sin. Which means, of course, that the Zoyama of the Nochesh was removed. No more did the Sitra Akhra have power in terms of the physical bodies. Rather, the power now was <clears throat> outside the physical body. Now, as a result of this, so in other words, that which would transpire 277 years later, that this Zoyama of Nochesh would be removed, and this, of course, is the Indian of Ben Yosef, because that's exactly what Ben Yosef does, he has to remove the Zoyim of the Nochosh by going into the Klippus, by going into a, 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 an area where there's a tremendous amount of evil, tremendous amount of sinning and remaining righteous. As a result of this, of course, um, uh, therefore, the, at the same night that Tikkun of the Zoyama would start, that is exactly when it was finally removed 277 years later. So therefore, that is why Yitzchak wanted to give it on the night of Pesach. To allude to the, to the fact that the night that the real Indian begins or starts, that the Zoyim of the Nochesh begins to be removed, starts on the very night that 277 years later exactly, to the day it is truly removed from the Bria, which of course is Pesach. And Chazal say, of course, that on Pesach, the Zoyim of the Nochesh was removed. So this then is the significance of the fact that Yitzchak wanted to give the brachas, of course, of the Indian of Ben Yosef to Esav, or really to Yaakov, on the exact same night as Pesach, on the exact same night that they will have successfully completed the task of removing the poison or the zoyma of the Nochosh. Now, to continue in the Torah. Now, the Torah continues, and it says that Yaakov said to Rivka, of course, that 
Of course, Esav has hairy hands and he's uh, smooth skin. So, of course, if his father feels him, he'll know that he's an imposter, of course, and he'll curse him instead of blessing him. So, of course, so she said that, he, that the curse that Yitzchak would give him, of course, should be upon her. And she says, but listen to me. And, of course, it says that he went and he brought to his mother those two kids and she prepared them, of course, as a, uh, a dish for Yitzchak. Now, it says, of course, that she took also that and the goat skins and she put it on Yaakov. So if Yitzchak felt Yaakov, of course, he wouldn't know that he was not Esav. Now, then it says, of course, that Yaakov brought these in front of uh, uh, Yitzchak, his father. And uh, his father said, who are you, my son? And Yaakov said to him, behold, I am Esav, your firstborn. And I've done exactly as you have told me, son. And I have brought, of course, the game in order that you, your soul should bless me. Now, Yitzchak says to him, how is it that you have come back so fast? And of course he answered him that the Rabbi Shalom has made it happen that a game has come before me. And Yitzchak said, of course, uh, come, come to me, let me feel you. And he did. Uh, come, come to me, let me feel you, see if you're Esau, my son, which he did. And, Yitzchak of, and Yaakov, of course, approached Yitzchak and he felt him. And he said that the kul is the kul Yaakov, that the voice is the voice of Yaakov. And the Yadayim, the hands, of course, are the hands of Esau. And we can ask that the, there seems to be a significance in the statement that the voice is the voice of Yaakov and that the uh, hands are the hands of Esau. So we can ask, why is it that the expression of Kul is applied to Yaakov and why is it that the expression of Yudayim, of course, applies to Esau? And we can answer that by merely remembering what the original Avod of both was. That the Avod of Yaakov Avinu is, if you recall, the Inyonim of Ben Dovid, which is to spread holiness, the Hispashtis Kedusha, to spread holiness throughout. And of course, that is done by the voice of Terah and the voice of Tefillah, and the fact that it's done by the voice of influencing others to do the Ratzon Hashem. Therefore, the primary instrument that Yaakov uses, of course, is his voice. So therefore, Yaakov is always depicted as, of course, the curl is a curl of Yaakov, the voice of Yaakov, because that is the instrument, or rather that is the instrument that he uses to do his task, which, of course, is to learn Torah and Tefillah and to spread as much holiness as possible. Now, the task of Esau, because he is the Indian of Ben Yosef, is, of course, Kfiya Sorah, to subdue or subjugate evil. And that is done, of course, by interacting with the material world, to interact with Oilam Hazer, to go into Klippos, to go into the area that the Sitra Akhra has dominance, and to remain righteous, and that is the way one subdues the Sitra Akhra. Therefore, his instrument, of course, is hands, because he interacts physically with the physical world. In other words, he subjugates in victory with his hands, so therefore, the task or the avodah of Esav, of course, is the hands, because that's exactly how he does his job, because he's involved in the union of Ben Yosef. And that, in, that is, of course, interacting with Oil Mahzeh, the material world. Therefore, you have to work in the physical world. And the instrument of Yaakov, of course, is to spread Kedusha, okay, to promote holiness. And that, of course, is done with the voice in, in the sense of learning Torah, influencing other people, and of course, and being Isaac and Tefillah. Therefore, the Kul is, is the expression which is always referred to by Yaakov because that is his instrument in terms of his task. And the Yodayim, the hands, is the instrument of Esau in terms of his uh, method or vehicle by which he does his job. And that, of course, is the 
Inyan of Ben Yosef. Now, to continue. It says then, that Yitzchak did not, of course, realize that Yaakov was Esav, and he says, come here, of course, and uh, he didn't recognize, of course, that Yaakov was really Yaakov. He really thought, of course, that Esav was standing in front of him. So then he says to him, are you my son Esav? So Vayoyman, he says, only I am. So he said, of course, come close to me, and of course, my soul will bless you. And, uh, and then, of course, Yitzchak ate, and he drank, and then, he said, then Yitzchak said to him, come close to me and kiss me. And he approached him, of course, and he kissed his father, and Yitzchak begins the brochus, which, remember, is the idea of giving over the permanence of the union of Ben Yosef, which is material wealth and dominance. As we see that Yosef, when he went to Egypt, also had material wealth and he dominated Egypt once he subdued it. In any case, so Yaakov Avinu says, Vayorach, or rather Yitzchak Avinu says, Vayorach is reach begodah. Before he's about to bless him, he makes this interesting statement. He says, it says that Vayorach is reach begodah, and he smelled the fragrance of his garments, of the garments of Yaakov. Vayivorachiyu, and he blessed him. And what was the first statement that he said, Re'ei, behold, Re'ach b'ni, the fragrance or the odor of my son, is k'reach sodeh, is like the fragrance of a field, ashe berachoy Hashem, that the Rabbani Shlom has blessed. In other words, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance that emanates from a field that God has blessed. Now, we at this point, and then of course he begins to proceed to give him the brachos of material abundance and domination, worldly domination. Now, we may ask at this point, why did Yitzchak say as an introduction to these brothers, see, the odor of my son is as the odor of a field which the Rabbani Shalom has blessed. But that's a funny way of beginning. What does that mean? I mean, other than the poetic sense of what, it, what it's saying. But this is not the brocha, this is not the beginning of the brochas, to say that the odor of my son is like the fragrance of a field which God has blessed is a statement of fact that this is what I find when I smell this individual. This in itself is not a brocha, what he should receive. This is a statement of fact in terms of what he finds. So the question of course is what is really Yitzchak alluding to when he says this idea? Now, we know <coughs> That the brochas, of course, meant that the permanence of the Indian of Ben Yosef was going to be given to Esav and his descendants. Why? Because of Esav, because of Esav's victory over the Sitra Achra, and that's why it would be given to Esav and his descendants. And we know that this was symbolized by the fact <clears throat> that Yitzchak told Esav to go out and to hunt, capture game, and then they would consume it. And this, of course, symbolizes the actual entrapment and ensnarement and victory over the Sitra Akhwa. Now, therefore, we would therefore expect that a statement or some kind of recognition by Yitzchak of Esau's victory over the Sitra Akhwa would naturally come first before the brachas were given. In other words, if the entire premise that Yitzchak is given the brachas to Esau is because he was victorious in his nyonim of remaining righteous even though he interacted with the world, Ish Sadeh, correct? then we would assume that since this provides the entire rationale of why he's getting it, that he would make this kind of a statement and say, you have been victorious, and now let me go and bless you. This is logical to assume. The, and the truth is, of course, that that statement, which Yitzchak does make, is really that statement. How? What does Yitzchak say? 
that the fragrance of my son, Esav, of course, who really is Yaakov, is really the fragrance of a field that the Rabbani Shalom has blessed. What does that mean? In other words, in response to this field, and field symbolically represents the area of Esav's task, which is Oilam Hazer. Esav is called Ish Sodeh, a man of the field, because he has to interact with the outside world, which is Oilam Hazer. Therefore, what Yitzchak is saying, that in response to this field, which of course refers to Oilam Hazer, since it has been conquered, and it has been dedicated, and has been brought into the service of the Rabbani Shlom by Esav, it is therefore now blessed by the Rabbani Shlom, and therefore it emits a beautiful, fragrant odor, which of course is symbolic of Kedusha, holiness. Therefore, uh, this fragrance of course is now carried by Esav. That is what Yitzchak is really saying. That the smell that I smell on your, on, on, on Esav, is really the smell of a field that has been blessed by the Rabbani Shlom. In other words, it is a smell of the field that God has blessed in response to the fact that this field, which is Oil Mazer, has been dedicated to the Rabbani Shlom. Therefore, it now captivates a certain kind of an aroma or fragrance, which of course symbolizes Kedusha or holiness. And this very fragrance from this field, in other words, from Oil Mazer, which has been successfully turned into the service of the Rabbani Shlom. In other words, that the Sitra Akra has been vanquished. This fragrance, which illustrates or symbolically represents them, is actually given off by my son. Therefore, what he's really saying as a result is, of course, that Esav, of course, has been victorious over the Sitra Akra, and he has this fragrance, which is the same fragrance of the field, which is Oilam Hazer, Ish Sodeh, which has been, of course, um, vanquished and given over to the Rabbani Shalom, and therefore the Rabbani Shalom response has blessed this. Therefore, of course, this means that Esav was victorious in his battles with the Sitra Akhra, and that he remained a righteous Jew, even though he interacted with Ulam Hazeh, he went outside and so on, interacted with the outside world. Therefore, he was victorious. And Yitzchak is really alluding to that victory by saying that. That is what really Yitzchak is really saying, and that is why, of course, it precedes the brachas. However, the one standing in front of him was not Esav, it was Yaakov. And, Esav, and, and Yitzchak was smelling this from Yaakov. And the reason, of course, is because Yitzchak, or rather Esav, had sold his Bechira, which is the Indian of Ben Yosef, when they were 15 years old. And for all these years, who was the one who was working on this? wasn't Esau, it was Yaakov. So therefore what Yitzchak was really smelling is the fragrance of Yaakov of Vino because he had interacted to a certain extent with Oilam Hazer to a limited extent and he had subdued the Sitra Akhra and therefore God had blessed that Sodeh which means that the Rabbani Shalom had blessed the, uh, the uh, victory of Yaakov over the Sitra Akhra. So therefore this is really what what Yitzchak was really smelling and of course but he didn't know that he thought that he was smelling this fragrance of course from Esav now to continue in the in, in the Chumash it then says afterwards that of course that Yitzchak begins to bless of course Esav <clears throat> who is really Yaakov and he tells him of course he gives him the wealth of, of material, uh, material wealth and of course he gives him domination <clears throat> and then it says of course that after the brochus that he left, that of course Yaakov went out. And then it says 
that as soon as Yaakov or, uh, disguised as Esav went out, behold, in comes Esav. Now, Esav, of course, brings him the game, and he tells Yaakov that he, that he wants Yaakov, of course, to bless him. So Yaakov, so, uh, excuse me, Yitzchak to bless him. So Yitzchak, his father, tells him, who are you? And of course, Esav answers him that I'm, I am Esav, your firstborn. So at that point in time, it says, that Yitzchak trembled tremendously. And he said to him, Then who is he, Hatsod Sayed, that went and hunted game, and he brought it to me, and I ate from it, from all of it. And then he says, and he shall surely be blessed. Now, we can ask a question. It doesn't make sense. It says here, me ifoy who, who is he that has actually come in here, had sought Syed and actually has hunted game. And I've eaten and of course I've blessed him. Yaakov brought this meat from the flocks. He didn't hunt game. So why is it that Yitzchak says who has hunted game from the individual who stood before him and received the blessings? In other words, the fact is that Yaakov, of course, never hunted any game. He received the game or the food from the flocks. So therefore, what Yitzchak should have said is that, Mi who? who is this individual, who is he, that that brought me game and I ate of it? Because he didn't know, now that he knew that this individual was not Esau, he didn't know that this individual took this particular game from the fields. And he went and hunted from uh, hunted, and it was actual game that he hunted. He should should have just said that who is this individual who brought me food and I ate of it? Why does Yitzchok say since he now knows that it clearly is not Esau, it's Yaakov, and he knows Yaakov did not go out and hunt anything? So why does he say who is this individual who went out and hunted game and he brought it to me? I mean, it's a kasha. Yitzchok, in fact, is saying something which clearly never occurred. And he knows Yaakov never did that. So why is he saying that? He should simply have said, who is he, this individual, meaning Yaakov, who has brought me food to eat? And obviously he got it from the flocks, his own flocks. Why did he say, who has hunted game for me? And the answer to that is because Hatzot side does not refer anymore to the actual hunting of game. What Yitzchok is really saying is that who is he, Hatsot Sayed, that has hunted and captured game? And this symbolically refers to, of course, to the one that Yitzchak knew had been victorious over the Sitra Achra and had stood in his presence and therefore had deserved these brachas, which of course is the permanent union of, of, of Ben Yosef to both he and his descendants. In other words, Yitzchak knew through Ruach of course, because it says, Vayorach is re'ach begodov, and he smelt the fragrance of his clothing. So he, met, he knew that this individual standing in front of him, who he thought was Esav originally, had successfully vanquished the Sitra Achra, and what he was smelling was the Kedusha that emanated from him. So therefore, what Yitzchak was really saying, is that who is this individual that has captured game, that had captured the Sitra Akhra, because that's exactly what I smell. And therefore, he of course deserves to have, since I smelled his victory, he deserves truly to have the union of Ben Yosef in a permanent fashion. Therefore, Yitzchok says, the Gam Borch 
In other words, obviously the one who was standing before me, and he figured out that it was obviously Yaakov, is, deserves to have these brachas. Why? Because, not only because the ruse that Yaakov did was successful, so obviously it could never have been successful if the God did not approve of it. So obviously, yeah, because obviously if God had allowed Yaakov to be successful, God surely approves of it. So therefore that's one reason why Yaakov is yeah, he should surely be blessed. But also, the, another reason why he should certainly be blessed is because he had, he had actually smelled the fragrance of this individual, which is he had smelled the Kedusha of this individual, which symbolizes this victory over the Sitra Achab. So certainly Gamborcha, yeah, he certainly should be blessed. He certainly should receive the Inyanum of Ben Yosef in a permanent way. So we therefore see that what Yitzchak is really saying is that who is this individual who has hunted game doesn't refer to game because there was no way of knowing that Yaakov had actually gotten food by hunting game. But what really first, of course, he was who had successfully truly hunted the game, the Sitra Achra, and that's exactly what I smelled. Therefore, Gam here, he should truly and certainly be blessed. This is what, of course, Yitzchak told Esav, that he deserves to have that blessing because I smelled the victory that he had, that he received. And that fragrance, of course, is the fragrance of Kedusha. That's, that's what Yitzchak says to uh, to Asaph, and therefore that answers the question why he told him <clears throat> who is that individual who has hunted game because it does not refer of course to the real game <coughs> but symbolically it refers to the game of course of the Sitra Achra and this of course is the same sim symbolism or the idea of why Yitzchak told Asaph to go out and hunt in the first place to symbolically represent that victory I'm now going to continue the uh, to uh, the Chumash itself. Now, it says after that that Kishmoya Esav is divri oviv. After Esav heard the words of his father, in other words, that somebody had preceded him. Obviously, that Yaakov had preceded him, and he took the brachas. It says and he cried an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said, and he said to his father, Bochini, bless me, Gam Oni, also me, Ovi, my father. <clears throat> now, Chazal say, there's a very interesting Chazal that says that Esau shed three tears. It says he cried an exceedingly great cry. Chazal say that Esau shed three tears. One tear came from the right eye, one tear came from the left eye, and one tear, Chazal say, came from his eye, and it remained bound in the eye itself, it didn't fall. And it was a welled up in the eye, and it didn't fall. And the Lashon of Chazal is Sholish Dimois Hizel Esav Rosha. Three tears did Esav let fall from his eye. Achas mi ayin yimin, one from the right eye. Achas mi ayin smol, one from the left eye. Vashlish is the third drop. Nikshro bi'enoi was bound up, welled up in his eye. Velo yodo, and didn't descend at all. Now. It says that the first two drops, one was from the right eye and the second was from the left eye. However, the last drop, Chazal say, Nikshur Bi'enoi, doesn't identify the eye. In other words, the last tear, it's not stated and therefore we don't know from which eye the, the uh, tear issued forth. Because the previous tears are stated, but the last one is not. Now, therefore, I, I am going to interpret that the last tear really was from both eyes. In other words, you had one tear from the right eye, one tear from the left eye, 
And there were two tears, in that sense, that welled up in both eyes. Therefore, Chazal do not identify which eye. And therefore, when they say, Be'enoi, it was bound or welled up in his eye, it doesn't refer to any specific eye, it uses a singular eye, because that's the organ of sight. It means that there was a tear that was bound up or welled up in his eye, which is both organs, of course, because those are the organ of sight. Now, therefore, we can ask, what do Chazal mean? What's the significance about the fact that one tear came from the right, fell down. One tear came from the left eye, fell down. And the third tear welled up in both eyes and didn't drop at all. What do Chazal mean? Actually, we can say like this. That the tears of Esav reflect what? They reflect remorse, regret. Uh, over the fact, obviously, that he had not received the brachas. That's what tears do. They reflected some kind of a haroto, a regret that he had not received the brachas. Now, feelings like that, remorse or regret, obviously can only come if one has had some kind of positive or good influence in his life. If somebody has not had good influence or positive influence in his life, obviously he doesn't care about many things. So obviously even Esau, if he had that regret or remorse, as indicated by his, uh, uh, his tears, it clearly indicates that there was some kind of a positive influence in his life. Now, what was that? What was the positive influence that Esau had that would enable him <clears throat> to have that kind of regret or remorse as indicated by his tears? The answer, of course, is obvious. His grandfather was Avram Avinu. I mean, look who this man had as his family. His grandfather was Avram Avinu who lived until Esau was 15 years old. So certainly in the first 15 years of Esau's life, Avram Avinu was an incredible hashpor influence on his behavior. His father was Yitzchak, who of course was an of, tzaddik, and that's the influence of course that his father had on him. And look at the third influence, his brother Yaakov. He had three incredibly great tzaddikim to learn from, and he learned of course from none because he went out of course to become a Russia. However, but they all did leave their influence. Avram, Yitzchok, and Yaakov did have some kind of an impression. Sufficient that he should regret the fact that he did not get the brachas from Yitzchok. And where do we see this marumas in Chazal? Because it says, the one tear was from the right eye, because what was Avram? Chesed, which is the right side, correct? Therefore, the first tear was the right eye, which means the influence, the tear, the remorse, the regret, comes from the right eye, which is the influence of Avram. The second tear, of course, was what? From the left side, and that is Gvura, because Gvura's might is on the left side, and therefore, which of course <coughs> is the influence of Yitzchak, who of course represents the Midah of Gvura. Therefore, the tear which came from the left side, which indicates remorse and regret, from the left side is the influence, of course, that Yitzchak had on his life. The tear that came from both sides, of course, is because of the influence, the third two tears, the third tears, came of course from the influence of Yaakov. And the reason why it came from both eyes is because Yaakov represents Tiferes, which is a combination of Chesed and Gvura. Therefore, the tears welled up in both eyes, because Yaakov represents the middle Mida, which is Tiferes, which of course is the right and left, which of course is Chesed and Gvura. And the reason why the last tear did not fall, because since that was because of Yaakov's influence, that remorse or regret was because of Yaakov's influence. Yaakov was his brother. 
the influence that a brother has is not as powerful as the influence, of course, of his father and his grandfather. Therefore, the tier which represents the influence of Yaakov, which is the middle, the last two tiers, because of Tiferes, did not fall all the way, it merely welled up. However, the tiers which represent the two previous tiers, Avram and Yitzchak, the right and the left tiers, they, of course, they had a much greater, much more profound influence on the behavior of Asa. Therefore, those two drops fell because their influence was far greater. Therefore, of course, the remorse and the regret that Asa had because he didn't receive the brochus as a result of the influence of Yitzchak and Avram influencing him to do good, of course, was far greater. Therefore, the drops which signified their influence, of course, fell completely down. This is basically what one can say that Chazal really mean when they say three drops that Esav issue from his eyes. Now, let's, let's go further in the Chumash. To continue further, it says that Yitzchak now says to Esav that your brother has come with subtlety and of course he has taken your brachas. And then he says, then Esav said, now I know why they call his name Yaakov. He has tricked me. He has outwitted me Twice, my as bechorosi lokoch, he had waited me when he took my bechora for the, the lentil dish, and now he has outwitted me when I took my brochas. And then he asks him, of course, don't you have any brocha reserved for me? Now, we uh, <clears throat> as an aside, as an interesting aside. Okay, when Esav says vayakveni zepamayim, that he has outwitted me, he has tricked me these two times we see that Esav himself is testifying to the tzitkis, to the righteousness of Yaakov. And you know how? Because he says, in, imagine this, in spite of the deceit and the tremendous evil of Esav, right? And obviously the tremendous difficulty that Yaakov had in remaining true to his characteristic trait, which was what? MS, that's his midah, right? In living with Esav. In other words, could you imagine how hard it is for Yaakov to live with Esav, who was a Russia, who was always trying to deceive and fool him, and, that, and, and how difficult it is for Yaakov to remain true to truth and not lie to Esav and not to trick him back? Could you imagine how difficult it is? Yet Esav testifies to the tzitkas of Yaakov when he says that in 63 years he has only outwitted me twice. He has only tricked me twice. He has tricked me twice. And this indirectly is a tremendous testimony to the tzitkas of Yaakov, that at no other time did Yaakov try to outwit or trick Esau. And that Esau himself had to admit that only these two times did he try to trick him, and of course he succeeded. That shows you the great tzitkas of Yaakov, which Esau himself testifies to. Let us continue in the Chumash. Then it says that Yitzchak answered, and he said to Esav, Behold, I made him a master over you, and all his brothers, of course, shall be to him as servants. And not only that, but I have supported him with grain and with uh, corn. So what can I do for you, my son? So Esav, of course, says to him, Don't you have one bracha left for me? Bless me also. And Esav lifted his voice and he cried. And what we have to understand now is what is the significance of that tear. And I will continue next week.